what I've always believed in is you should always continue for it. Never wait around for something. Get better at something. Take the time. If you get rejected from something or something doesn't go your way, do something better to better yourself for the next time around. Like always work on plan B, C, you know, and D, however many plans you got. You know, I guess the point I'm trying to make is uh, to be where I am today has not obviously been as easy or as clear as it seems it's been. It's always easy to look at someone's LinkedIn profile or their social media and just be like, yeah, it's just he's been able to figure it all out. It's it's because I've had to dodge so many challenges, honestly, to, to get there. And I would say that I'm a better person because I never got into my first choice of school. Like, period. I, I didn't get into my first choice of school, period. That was Mitchell Koss. Mitch is a distinguished leader, innovator, and mentor to many. He's currently an associate manager at Tesla with the powertrain operations team. He's also a McMaster alumni and just finished his MBA at Cal State University. Today's episode gets pretty deep. We go through his childhood dreams of becoming a fighter pilot, how failure helped him refocus and pivot, and the lessons he learned from his dad. The episode's full of laughs and wisdom and honestly, one of our favorite conversations on the podcast. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Reminder, we're always looking for sponsors on the next iteration podcast. So message us if you see a good fit. We're also excited to announce a new shorts podcast with Tristan Wedderburn dropping soon. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our social pages to learn more. It really helps us out. Cheers. You are now listening to the next iteration podcast with your hosts, Fuad and Damien. If you like the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. We hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks, guys, for having me. It's a pleasure to uh, be here on this beautiful Saturday talking to you guys. Yeah, I'm so glad our climates are matching up, too. It's a beautiful Saturday for you guys are almost hotter than us, I think, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm in Texas, so I'm definitely hotter than you guys. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you're in the right place. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> so, Mitch, we will definitely run out of time before we run out of things to talk about. So I'm very much looking forward to hearing your thoughts on a bunch of the, the things that we're uh, looking forward to talking about today. And, you know, first, I want to start with a little bit of an intro from you. But to get to know you a bit, I want you to kind of look at how you think your friends and your mentees see you. So how would you, how would your friends describe you and how would your mentees describe you? And do you think that differs at all? Uh, well, my friends and my mentees all call me dad. Uh, for starters. <laughs> I get called dad by a lot of people, people I went to college with, people I went to university with and people that are some of my closest friends now. I guess uh, everybody has someone in their friend group. That's like the father of the group. And yeah, yeah. I sometimes call it a, 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 yeah, like just, you're always the one that's like, all right, guys, let's make sure we get home in time for dinner and make sure we're, you know, you got the right clothing outside and stuff like that. Uh, But it's, uh, it's a pro and a con. I mean, I think uh, a lot of my friends always come to me uh, when they have uh, big issues or, you know, Hey, uh, (laughs) we're thinking of getting married or we want to buy a house. And I'm like, you guys are way more ahead than I am in my life, but um, I'm always, I've always liked helping people. I, I was, you know, raised by my parents who always taught me to, you know, think about the future and give back to your closest friends and the people that help you along the way. So I would say that uh, at least, you know, the, the many mentees I have uh, would probably refer to me as like a, a father figure for them in many cases, or, or just a really good friend that you can go to for anything. And uh, my friends definitely <laughs> consider me someone that's <laughs> always apparently awake. I get told a lot that uh, people don't think I sleep. And it's because uh, I just have always prioritized my friends and family. And people know that they can always reach out and they'll get an answer within 30 minutes somehow. Uh, if they don't hear from me, it's because I'm actually that's busy doing something. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I think just someone that's always there for people to handle uh, anything that they've got going on and just be you know a voice of reason for people wow that's beautiful your email inbox must be immaculate then uh my inbox for my gmail and my simpatico.ca email and my uh my linkedin is an absolute dark hole (laughs) (laughs) yeah just like hey 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 and it's just i yeah my text message inboxes and this is like no way of flex at all this is like such a toronto thing like oh it's such a (laughs) flex like no it's not it's just i can't keep up with uh the people that just are always reaching out to say hi or connect or and things like that but 
Uh, it's cool. It's, it's always nice. I mean, I think you'll get remembered for your mm-hmm. impact on people's lives, uh, you know, when you pass on to the next life. So I'm always trying to, I always like seeing people succeed. That's me in a nutshell. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, so I think that's actually a great way to start the conversation because now everybody has this idea of you. You know, you're that father figure. You're that guy that has life figured out, right? My for the dad. most part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But as I understand it, or maybe this is a misconception, that wasn't always the case, right? And touching on that idea of redirection. Now, this topic is something that's been prevalent and we keep touching on in this podcast And this is a very intentional thing because so many young people struggle with this notion of having to have everything figured out right from the get-go. And again, we want to try and dispel that myth because not only is there so much to discover about the world, but that that process and that journey of self-discovery is a lifelong thing. But I think maybe before we talk about redirection, we might need to hear a bit about a very special aerospace engineer in your life. So could you tell us a bit about your father? Sure. Uh, my dad is uh, continues and will probably forever be the smartest person I know on the planet, as I'm sure uh, father figures or mothers are for, for many people out there. My dad has been a uh, aerospace engineer his entire life. He was uh, in one of the first graduating classes at McGill uh, for their aerospace program back when uh, they That's didn't awesome. have an aerospace program, uh, which is an awesome thing for him to, to always remind me about. And he, he came mm. from I always say like the old days of really to me has been the foundations of true engineering. You know, they didn't have Google, they didn't have graphing calculators. Like they did drafting tables. They use slide rules to do logarithmic scales for all of their calculations. Like you think about how hard school is now, you know, and with just the advancement in technology, but they had, everything was just in a book and when my dad finished, he, he grew up in Montreal when he, uh, in a Ukrainian household, you know, very, very Catholic Christian household. And, you know, he was very by the book. He was really focused on school. And when he finished school, I mean, Montreal was one of the hubs for aerospace engineering. And my dad had a back in that day, like 30 years ago, you could get a job right out of engineering school, like the day after. And obviously that's mm-hmm. something we, we see that's a big challenge. One of the hot topics these days is, you know, how, how diluted a, an engineering degree is now. But he had a decision between, uh, he was putting out offers to, to or kind of inquiring to other companies in the area. He, you know, thought maybe I'll go to Toronto. And essentially the first person that came back to him was uh, De Havilland, Canada, which is now Bombardier uh, at Downsby Airport uh, in Toronto. And basically just made a decision to pack up and move from his entire family uh, to go to Toronto. And that's where he started his life. And uh, he was uh, long standing, like most engineers were super big geeks and nerds and, you know, believed in Star Trek and Star Wars, wanted to go to space and everything. And my dad, (laughs) my dad always wanted to be an astronaut. Uh, He wanted to be a pilot as well with back in the day, you couldn't get laser eye. So, you know, his his options of going into the military Mm -hmm. and following that path was, pretty much cut short so you know went the civilian route he was lucky enough to get his license while he was working at de Havilland uh, because the chief engineer was also the chief uh, pilot uh, on on site so they would fly and he would basically get subsidized that uh, the hourly rate it would just be like well the chief engineer is your boss so uh, just clean the aircraft refuel the aircraft and like you know we'll just get your hours in Mm -hmm. and uh, met my mom and my mom was born in Paris and uh, she moved to the, to the, to Canada when she was very young and, uh, they had me and ever since, uh, nice. ever since, uh, I was a kid, <laughs> my dad's always been that like shining light in my career, uh, my professional personal life. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I owe that guy pretty much everything in my life. Uh, my dad has been there for the hardest moments and some of the best moments in my life. And in regards to, you know, finding yourself, there is a, large period of my life where I had no idea what I wanted to do, especially when it came to, you know, finishing high school and going into post-secondary. My mm-hmm. number one path and number one dream has always been to be a fighter pilot and go to space. And, you know, back when I was getting ready to look at universities and colleges, I didn't have eyesight. I was unfortunately gifted with horrible eyesight, um, pretty bad, uh, pretty bad uh, myopia. And I didn't have those options at the time with my age. 
and basically figured, well, I guess if I can't fly or do anything like that, just follow what your, your parents do. Right. Like everybody just kind of says, follow what your parents do. Cause I guess it's good. Mm-hmm. And I decided, well, I guess I'll just go into engineering. And my dad was the first person to immediately say, don't go into aerospace engineering. <laughs> like he was the first person yeah. to say, don't go into what I spent 30, you know, 32 years at the time uh, really? of his, of his life. And what, what was his he, reasoning? He, honestly at the time and and it's still true to this day the aerospace industry is just a very cyclical industry it's um you know it's not very fast paced there's Mm -hmm. uh, and i'm sure people listening to this will probably be like oh he's wrong but like (laughs) aerospace has always been at the forefront of you know engineering design characteristics cutting edge technology because you're dealing with such a higher threshold of failure right because going outside of the atmosphere you're flying at higher altitudes there's a lot more things that go into uh you know consideration but the purchase procurement process manufacturing process just the whole life cycle of the aerospace industry is is a very bogged down industry like it's and it works for some people but my dad was the really first one and most people say their parents know them better than they do was like that's really not for you man like that's you're not a uh book heavy guy you like studying but you play a lot of sports you like working with your hands you like inquiring about what's going on in the world around them like mm-hmm. need to do something else uh, rather than just spend five years or four years just going hard in, in lawn kappa <laughs> you know what i mean so <laughs> oh he, my that's, God. that's what kappa. that's what yeah that's what let me yeah, everybody, <laughs> yeah i brought it up i brought it up in vishal's Triggered. podcast and like everybody's just like oh my god um but Dude, yeah <laughs> he, he, that's where that's what led me into the b-type program at mac and it was the best decision i ever made just because he had gone a little bit further and looked in the brochures a little bit harder than I did and inquired about yeah. is the program that I was, my son was going to go into the right one for him. Right. And at the time I was like, man, mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. Like, I'm just going to go and follow you. And I think a lot of people are in those cases, right. They just don't know. There's so many options out there. There's how many universities in, in Canada for us. Right. And how many programs mm-hmm. there are, how many options you can go co-op, you can go non-co-op, you can go, uh, a minor you can do uh, a joint it's degree like diploma process. yeah it's there's it's like you can't options. there's so many options yeah. i applied to 13 programs when yeah. i was in in high yeah. school i got accepted to yeah. 12 of 13 and i had a horrible problem at that time because i didn't know then what to pick <laughs> so yeah. Uh, but yeah th- i know it's like a long-winded answer to your question but uh, that's you know my no, dad's no, been good. the most important person in my life for decision making for sure so I'm curious, like what, what are the qualities of your dad that like you find yourself emulating the most in your career and like in your everyday life? Definitely the attention to detail. Uh, I get, uh, I would say one of the biggest mm-hmm. feedbacks I get from my colleagues or my direct reports in my professional career and also from my friends is just, I have a really good memory and it's just a really innate ability to uh, go to detail. Like people ask me what the weather's like and I'm not just going to say it's hot. I'm going to tell you it's, you know, 52.7 degrees Fahrenheit and there's a winds out of the West at 32 knots. And like, it's just, I have appreciation for the level of detail my dad's always had as an engineer, because when I was a kid, I thought he was, yeah, I thought he was crazy, but he just, he read a lot and just absorbing information <laughs> that's around you. And I think the most important thing I learned from my dad that, you know, I think I, really emulate or try to inspire people to emulate themselves is to try something new like find everything out there that you haven't tried or haven't thought of and you can always keep yourself safe busy and thinking if you think that way if you always consider what have I not tried have I reached the pinnacle of this sport I play or this hobby I like or I feel in a rut in my life. Have I, I should try something else. You know, what else mm-hmm. is out there? What's local? Who, where can I meet people? Can I work on a skill, work on myself, work on something that betters myself. And that's always led me out of like really bad ruts in my life is just always thinking of my dad being like, have you really done everything you can? Or, you know, is there something mm-hmm. else you can do? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you found a place where you can do this? Mm-hmm. 10 times out of 10 has always helped me out of rut and, and mm-hmm. a lot of the people that I mentor uh, both in professional and personal uh, life has always been about, have you thought about this? Have you thought about something else or another way you can do this? Or 
have you thought about reading a book that may have nothing to do with what you know you want to talk to me about, but maybe that helps you think something in a different way that might bring you to the solution to your problem. Mm-hmm. And that to the core is as you guys, as you guys know, that is to the core, that's what engineering is. Is like we bring things to life in a smart way that maybe is a commercially sellable product, is something that solves a, a real world issue, it solves an ethical problem, mm-hmm. it solves a people problem, a machine problem, the method problem. And we always have to think like, how do we do this differently? And I know you guys did a podcast on first principles, which I thought you guys did a great job, by the way, of really capturing the essence of Thank what yeah. first principles thinking means. That. Like it's a, I would say it's a very mis, it's a missed, uh, misconceptioned uh, idea. Like first principles thinking people think is just another way of mm-hmm. rethinking a problem. Well, it, it is, but it's a lifestyle. You have to change your mind. It's not something that you're always just mm-hmm. born with. You have to really retrain your brain to think, yeah. Okay. What is the non-linear way of doing this? Right. Mm-hmm. We always think of things like, well, it can't yeah. be working because of this. How do you know that? There's got to be somewhere else, or mm-hmm. maybe we haven't thought of a better way or best practice to do something. And that's honestly, I, I learned all of that from from my dad, just always forcing me to try something new, think about things differently, and you know, don't look it up mm-hmm. online, don't read it in a book, just look at the problem in front of you and see what you can do to fix it. So, wow i mean shout out to sure. your dad like yeah he's the he's, he's, he's the goat he's the goat man yeah, he's, he's, the he's, he's, he's yeah the goat. maybe we should be interviewing him so you're probably that yeah so you're probably that guy that never ignored friction in his calculations in school yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the guy that the guy where uh you know in the, the textbooks like in high school would give you like the little asterisks and it would say like for this problem you could ignore this no, yeah, I was yeah. like, that's impossible, man. How can you ignore this? You can't assume anything. Like, sure. You got to factor yeah. everything in, right? So, yeah. Now, I, I love that you uh, cool. you touched on that idea of, or, or just how you were able to get out of a rut, because it's something that we wanted to ask you a bit later too. And it's, it's really valuable advice that you gave, because the problem with being in a rut is that you usually end up too myopic, right? You end up yeah. too short-term in your views. And it really mm-hmm. takes stepping back and looking things from a more macro perspective to help you get yeah. out of that. But maybe like diving into that a bit more and talking about failure a bit, because I mean, it, again, like it looks like you got everything figured out, but Mitch, everything wasn't always golden for Mitch, right? Uh, yeah. How sure. has a failure or apparent failure in your life set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite failure of yours? Yeah, I would say, uh, uh, and I've, I've said it before on, on other podcasts, but I would say my best life failure was never getting into the Royal Military College of Canada like never getting into the military at 18. And I'll tell you why. And, uh, you know, shout out to all of our service members out there. Um, but I, when I was, you know, very young, I, I grew up uh, with an aerospace engineer as a father and I was around planes my entire life, always have been. And, you know, like a lot of kids, some kids want to be firefighters, some kids want to be cops, some kids want to be scientists, surgeons. I wanted to be a fighter pilot because Top Gun remains and was my favorite movie of all time. And like, I've, everybody that knows me really well, like everybody sees a Top Gun clip on TV. I get it. I get it in a Snapchat. I get it in a photo. Like I, and I just grew up always wanting to be a fighter pilot. And my entire life through high school, through, you know, elementary school was always like, what can I do to, you know, what are my options? How do I get in, you know, how do I get an F-18 in Canada? And (laughs) basically when I was going through high school, I, I, I didn't have anybody in my direct family that was in the military. I didn't have anybody to guide me, to give me the advice, like, Hey, this is what you got to be thinking about. These are the courses that you got to get, you know, nineties in like, this is what you got to think about. And by the time I was thinking about, you know, by grade 10, I was thinking, okay, I knew what my plan was. I knew how I had to go through the aptitude testing. I knew what I had to do from an application standpoint. I knew I had to take on you know, volunteer work, get a good job, do things outside of school so I could become a well-rounded candidate for the school. Because at the time, and this is probably an inaccurate information now, but they only took 186 people a year. And unlike the US, which has four or five military academies, Canada has one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for the size of Canada, yeah, Yeah. population-wise, we don't have that many people, right? I mean, the population of Canada fits in California, but per capita, I mean, that's a very, very small, that's the application rate would be much more competitive than Harvard at that point. So obviously that weighs on you when you're in high school and I did everything I could. I 
was, you know, I tried really hard in school. I wasn't naturally gifted with, you know, hundreds and everything. Like I, I like really had to read yeah. and work, work hard. hard. I was playing sports at the time. Right. I was doing three jobs in high school. I had to maximize mm -hmm. my time management. Otherwise I would just, you know, split the differential and fall off. But when I applied originally in grade 11, which is usually what people do the first time you have two chances, you can apply in grade 11 so that you can set up your grade 12 to basically just not necessarily coast, but you can finish the, the courses you need for the, the required entries. Right. Okay. And then you yeah. can apply in grade 12 and then you can apply, it can apply up to your first year of university. So okay. I applied at the end of grade 11, normal process. Uh, and <laughs> was like, I can't be a pilot. And at the time, you know, I was young. I had really no guidance again. I just put down three trades that I thought I could do. Didn't get into RMC and said, you know what, that's fine. And started thinking about going into grade 12. I was always in STEM, a uh, really STEM focused uh, curriculum. So I didn't really yeah. make any changes to what I was already doing. I was doing U level uh, everything and went through it. Grade 12, you know, I was looking at universities and I was like, you know what, I'll give it another try. And it, it I'll, I'll mm -hmm. be honest, like, it's hard to want to go into something like that. Like I want to fly fighters and I want to go to a military academy and nobody in your family has done it or, you know, your friends mm -hmm. all don't want to go there. So, I mean, it's very mm -hmm. hard to, you can't really talk to anybody about that. I didn't have a mentor or anybody like that. Yeah, and there's no community around it. Yeah. There's no yeah. like real community unless you're in like a military community, like, you know, people or someone in your family right. because military families, especially in Canada are super, super tight. And, and I'm glad to be yeah. you know really close with a lot of them now, but I went through grade 12 and, and grade 12, again, I applied, I had really good grades in grade 12 and I didn't get in. You know, I, I tried, I worked on what I did I did bad, I guess, uh, in my first time around. And again, went to the application, went to the aptitude test and everything just didn't work out in my favor. I was, you know, merit listed, mm -hmm. but I never got selected. And what that means uh, for people that don't know or, or are interested, essentially when you get merit listed is you are an approved candidate. So you have candidacy, you basically get a billet, but that is just a number. You could be 300, you could be 6,000, you don't know. And let's say the school takes 156 people. If you're 157 and the first 156 say yes, mm -hmm. you're not going, mm -hmm. right? So you can wait around if you want, or what I've always believed in is you should always continue for it. Never wait around for something, get better at something, take the time. If you get rejected from something or something doesn't go your way, do something better to better yourself for the next time around. Like always yeah. work on plan B, C, you know, and D, whatever, however many plans you got. Mm -hmm. And I went to Mac, I accepted my Mac offer and I applied again. <laughs> I applied again in my first university, didn't get selected. So at that point I was like, you know what? I don't have the vision to be a pilot. There's nothing else I want to do in the military other than fly. That's my dream. That's yeah. my goal. And that's what I would want to do. So decided that, you know, I'm going to finish out civ civilian university and uh, went through Mac. Obviously I finished my, my pilot's license while I was in school. I, you know, got a co-op at GM when I was in my first available year of co-op and I finished my pilot's license before I finished uh, yeah. school. I, I did my exam, my, my written test for my PPL uh, a day after my seventh exam in school. It was like, it leaves in the second year. Yeah. And I, you know, like wow. you guys know, like after your last exam, whether it's the sixth or seventh, everybody's just bumping out of the, the, the room, like they're done. You're going home, like yeah. you're gone. And I was like, yeah, yeah, guys, have fun. I'm going oh, yeah. back home to study maps because I got a nav portion oh. of my written test <laughs> the next day. Like it was, it was, it was nuts. Looking yeah. back, it was a very dumb decision, but I passed and I got the marks I needed. Did my flight test, uh, did really well on my flight test. You know, I was really, really grateful. And, and I'm very appreciative of the fact that because I didn't go to RMC, I met some of my closest friends to this day. I got my pilot's license. I met really close friends in the, in the flying community. Uh, shout out to Spectrum Airways in, in Burlington, Ontario. I had a very, very good, well-educated uh, instructor pilot who's now flying for Air Canada. And all of these people along the way encouraged me to continue down my dream. If you want to be a fighter pilot, you can still do it. Just because you didn't go to Royal Military College of Canada, you didn't go through like the very cookie cutter way, still go get in. Yeah. And I know this is kind of a super long-winded story, but mm -hmm. Because of all of this that no, no. happened, I had the opportunity to get education. I got a chance to work in the industry that I now have a career in. 
I got a job offer to work at Tesla because of my experience at GM, right? Right out of school. And I also, along the way, while I was getting my pilot's license, met one of my best friends to this day, who is an ex-instructor pilot on the F-18 at 410. And his name's Verinder Dillon. He, he is one of my best friends and he remains to be one of my mentors in my life. And I learned everything I needed to know about the military from someone who's actually gone and done what I wanted to do and still want to do to this day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fast forward to 2018 and I got my eyes uh, done. I had PRK, <laughs> had photorefractive keratectomy and I now see 2010. And in 2019, I went back home, did my air crew selection and I passed and I got a fast jet billet. So now whether or not I ever get in is a different story. That's a political story that, you know, we don't have to get into, but essentially when you pass air crew selection, you get a billet. And at that point you are just waiting for a call whenever that is. So, you know, I guess the point I'm trying to make is uh, to be where I am today is not obviously been as easy or as mm-hmm. clear as it seems it's been, you know, it's easy to look at a resume or look at someone's LinkedIn. Yeah. It's always easy to look at someone's LinkedIn profile or their social media yeah. and just be like, yeah, it's, just he's been able to figure it all out it's it's because i've had to dodge so many challenges honestly to to get there and i would say that i'm a better person because i never got into my first choice of school like period i i didn't get into my first choice of school period i don't know if that just blew your mind but yeah that's that's like that's it yeah (laughs) my biggest failure was not getting into the school i wanted to go to (laughs) i know wait so if you get the call i gotta ask you're, you're gone. You're off Tesla. Like as soon as you get that call, I don't know. I mean, if my, I mean, if my employer is like listening in on this, like most, <laughs> okay, so well. all, let me, let me put this, let me put it this way. Tesla oh, remains. Wow. And, and this is like a shout out to Tesla. And I'm super, one mm-hmm. of the things I'm most proud about Tesla is, is mm-hmm. we are the number one employer of veterans mm-hmm. in the U S in the United States wow. of America. We're the number one employer and the number one voted employer of ex-military personnel in mm-hmm. the United States of America. And we've only been around for 12, right. 12, 13 years, which is huge. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you why we are, because, and, and I do this on my team too. Yeah. Military personnel are some of the most highly trained people that we have in North America. They are not the stereotypical, like just grunts, boots on the ground. It's like they're some of the smartest people we have mm-hmm. in the country, in both countries, Canada and the U.S. They're disciplined. They're trained both at a technical, combat, tactical level. They understand the rights and wrongs. They understand orders versus decisions. And some of these people can be taught some of the most complex things in the world, having never looked at a vehicle or looked at a robot before or looked at a mechanical system. But they have the ability to mm-hmm. learn because that's the environment that they were put in from years of military training. And I'll, I'll, I'm a huge proponent of it, and I'm a huge supporter of it. So anybody listening, mm-hmm. hire vets, some of the best people you'll ever have work for you. But the, 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 for me, if I were to get my dream again, guys, my dream number one was to fly F-18s with my friends uh, at 409 Squadron in Cold Lake, Alberta. And, you know, shout out to those guys that are on Squadron right now. But, you know, if I were to get that, I mean, it's a hard decision. I'll, I'll be honest. It's a hard mm-hmm. one to make. When you are in your career at this point and you get a call and they're like, well, we have, right. you know, we have a spot for training. What do you, what, like, I yeah. honestly couldn't tell you I'd have an answer in, the t- in five seconds, but you know, yeah. it's one of those decisions where in life you may get the opportunity right there. You may get the opportunity that is it the right time to do it right now, yeah. me personally, selfishly, I'd be like, I mean, this is my entire life has been towards this. That's what I want to do. And, you know, honestly, I would take it, but there's other yeah. opportunities, right? Like while you wait for that call, I mean, you're in the US, in my case, like same, same as you fought, like you're in the US, mm-hmm. you could, there's other opportunities. You could go the reserve route in the, you know, United States Air Force, or you could go the, the reserves, you could go National Guard and mm-hmm. still have a career. So there's options out there, right? And it just depends mm-hmm. on, on what's the best at the time. I think mm-hmm. the sure. important takeaway from that is life will always throw, you know, goods and bads. And I think when you get, opportunities right is when preparation there's no such thing as luck right it's when preparation opportunity meet you also got to ask yourself is it the right time in your life to do it and Mm -hmm. i think 
that's uh, that's something that people always should should take away Absolutely. from that. And there are no bad events, works right? It's only how we react to it. Just remember that life changes, and you should always be trying to progress yourself. Don't wait around for you know, that opportunity, but always chasing that will will lead you down a better path than if you just waited around for it. Definitely. Yeah. 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 There's how you react to it and how you deal with it and how you plan to address them and get around them. No bad decisions, just lessons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of it from your perspective. Like it's your childhood dream versus like a career you've built, you know, relationships you've had, like, you know, like Mm -hmm. place you, you've built a life in. It's like, it's, it's something that you have to think through really, really intentionally. It's one of those decisions that's like, I'll, like a make or break moment yeah i mean I, I and there's no right answer there's no right or wrong like it's exactly. whether you want it's it's a soul decision it's not one that <laughs> your family your friends your mentors your professors they can all just give input at the end of the day it's your decision For right? sure. and, and you know my friends that are you know in the military or, or flying fighters now and some of my close friends would be like you're an idiot if you don't take it obviously but we also mm-hmm. understand right your family sure. understands like you're in a safe career you know you're doing really cool stuff and and whatnot so it's it's cool i mean if it happens it happens if it doesn't there's still other opportunities to still get in the fighter jet i mean there's lots of opportunities out there definitely yeah so i actually want to take this opportunity to dive a little bit deeper into the work you do at tesla um, and how you ended up there um so why tesla you've had this dream of like being a fighter pilot you know you ended up working at gm and we 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 got that side of the story so how did you go from gm to tesla and why did you stay at tesla so long what about tesla like so when i started my career i was still in school so uh in the b-tech program at mac you have to get uh 12 months i think it's still 12 months now you have to get 12 months of working experience in industry before you graduate, you can't graduate without it. Now, I was lucky enough to, you know, uh, prepare myself enough, applied to GM and GM interviewed and hired me directly into the plant. And my first job was as a production supervisor. And I went into Trimman Hardware, thought I knew everything about cars. I knew absolutely zero, knew nothing about what it takes to <laughs> manufacture, design, test, research, produce at a high, high, high amount. Like, mass production of vehicles at a high quality rate was something that I didn't even understand and was put into a job. Like, here you go. First day, here's a radio. These are the 65 people that work for you. They're all your parents age. And we'll see you at 2 PM. Don't let that bingo board go red. And this is your first job. Like, it's like, my, this is like, well, I had like, I had worked, like I had, you know, retail jobs. I've worked as a ski instructor, a lifeguard, but this is like my first job. This is my first industry job in industry in a manufacturing plant, which has inherent hazards everywhere. And I was in a managerial position where I had 65 people that had a, you know, anywhere between 15 to 30 years of experience in that exact industry all work for you. And you had to lead them away. Like you had to lead them at a high throughput, high yields, high quality, and, you know, deal with HR issues or them saying, and, and it was unionized at the time, mm-hmm. like yeah. all of those at the same time, first job in industry. And That's it was four awesome. months. I learned yeah. so much in four months and I met some yeah. of the best people that have built the foundation for my career just in those four mm-hmm. months. And I learned everything I needed to know about operating a business at you know, a high throughput level at a high quality level. And the most important thing I learned was how to deal with people, but not in a bad way, Uh, how to Mm -hmm. inspire people, how to motivate people and how to keep the pace of production, like keep productive work seven days a week, which as humans Mm -hmm. is, is not something we like at all. Mm -hmm. Right. But that was, I learned everything (laughs) I needed to know about making cars in the first four months. I loved it so much that I told them I wanted to return. Uh, And when they asked me what I wanted to do next, I said, I want to go to the next hardest place in the plant, like German (laughs) hardware in any auto plant, any company is one of the hardest areas to work in. Just so many variables and so many people it's the final final assembly. So that's all customer related items. There's a lot of complexity. Now, when I went back, I was then f- fulfilling a maintenance role, which is more similar to what I do now, but maintenance and engineering, I worked in body and white. I learned everything that you know it took to maintain an assembly line, maintain equipment, 
met really funny, you know, skilled trades people that taught me everything about, you know, electrical theory, hands-on practical uh, electrical fundamentals, safe work practices, lockout tagout, lasers, welding, like robotics. I learned everything technical from those people. And then I went into quality. I learned everything that had to do about, uh, you know, making products at a high, high level of quality, uh, high level of precision. I found things about cars that I would probably will never appreciate as a consumer, but as a, an employee, you're like, I can, I need to make, pay attention to this because the customer needs to have a perfect vehicle. So I learned a lot about that and keep in mind, I was on night shift at the time. So I didn't have at this point in my career, like a lot of people around, it was up to you to make a lot of decisions on nights. Right. And yeah. Then my last uh, stint with GM was in paint shop as a process engineer and I uh, had the, an, an entire top coat process and learned everything about the complexity of electrostatic painting uh, in the auto industry and all the factors that go into that beautiful blue car you have uh, on the street, you know, so yeah. Learned everything about, uh, I, I honestly owe a lot of what I know about car manufacturing to GM. I mean, GM's been around, uh, you know, for a very, very long time. And uh, what you gain from that, especially as a young engineer, is really good, solid ground and foundation in processes, uh, escalation paths, design fundamental, design for manufacturability is something that's the core of their business model. And just understanding how all of these different cross-functional teams form into a beautiful truck or car that you see on the road. And in my final year of university, I was considering going back to school to do a master's in engineering because they at Mac again had a they have a master's in engineering in uh, in manufacturing, and it's uh, essentially a two year program. But if you have a, a an industry project, you can basically streamline that into almost a year. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, I again had a lot of support from my plant uh, managers and the, the people that had worked with me as a student that, you know, I was able to set up like an idea for a project. And unfortunately at the time they were going through contract negotiations and uh, a lot of arbitration for contracts with the union. And that kind of just kind of just was put on the back burner. Obviously it's just not a priority for the business. And I can understand that. And I was in my last semester of school and I, one of my closest friends, uh, Andrew Young, was just happened to be looking through job boards in class one time and was like, hey, uh, Tesla's got an opening for uh, like this job. And I was like, okay. Like, I, I was like, oh, all right. And he was like, you should apply. And I was like, okay. So I like submitted an application. Just literally, it's not a beautifully well-scripted story. I literally was just like, okay. Yeah. And I applied. <laughs> and got a call and started going through the interviewing process with Tesla. I originally had applied right. uh, for a job in Fremont, which is where I'm at now. But I was interviewed for a multitude of positions in, you know, between Gigafactory and Nevada. At the time, they were just starting uh, the Gigafactory. And mm-hmm. I really was put in a position where, you know, uh, and I'm sure you guys know, like Tesla was like, well, can you come tomorrow? I was like, well, no, I got to finish school. You know? <laughs> and classic Tesla. <laughs> that was like important to me. Right. I was like, no, I mean, I, I got to finish school and I got to yeah. get my, de- my degree and yeah. you know, be somebody and be there, stand up on stage, you know, for my parents and make my parents proud. And uh, went through the, the process. So I then got just moved to another uh, application for a different job and, you know, went out there, did my 12 interviews at the time. It's not as aggressive now, but it was quite, quite an interview process and came back home with a job offer. And nice. uh, again, as we, as we were talking earlier, like it wasn't an easy decision uh, yeah. at the time. I, you know, I had a, had a, had a girlfriend at the time. And, you know, I had a job offer with GM, I think, or I had thought at the time, like, well, I mean, I got accepted to mass from like graduate school. I have a graduate school offer. I got a girlfriend, like GM should be able to figure this out. Like I got a <laughs> yeah. pretty good gig right here, you know? Yeah. And again, super smart guy. My dad was like, all right, family campfire. We just sat in his office, but we call them family campfires. We all just grab our chairs from our rooms and we just sit in a circle and have a campfire, but not a real fire, but like yeah. a campfire idea. <laughs> yeah. And and he was just like, all right, well, what, what are the pros and cons? Like, tell mm-hmm. me what's good about this. What's bad. What are your concerns? And what is the opportunistic loss if you don't take this? Yeah. 
And that was all that I needed to make the decision. I packed up and moved out to California and I've been there. Never looked back. Yeah. Never looked back. I mean, had opportunities to come home, but uh, Tesla keeps me here because uh, it's just challenging work and it's uh, it's a good place to work. If, uh, if you like that pace of challenge and I've met some good people out here and really started a life and, uh, I, I enjoy living in, in California, uh, for the, for the most part, you know, it's expensive to live here, but you know, uh, <laughs> I have, I have cons. really close, close family yeah. and friends in, in Texas. So I spent a lot of time in Houston. So uh, nice. not too bad. It's, uh, I don't have an intention of going home tomorrow. So, you know, it's, uh, that's why I'm still here. Ooh, okay, nice. So, okay. I, I just want to backtrack for a second because there's a lot to dive into there. Uh, first of all, yeah, I was like, I was waiting for like the romance, like there, I was waiting for this like romantic story of like how you got into Tesla. I have no romantic stories, man. No, <laughs> like zero romance. Like everybody's like, everyone's like, oh man, you must have known somebody or yeah. like some, some high level person was like you. Right? Just headhunted you. Exactly. No, I literally as non-romantic as it is, yeah. lied to the job. And there's no point lying. Like that is, Absolutely. That is how oh, I got sure. there. And I love it because when people ask me, they go like, what did you do? How did I, how do you stand out? What can I do to be better? And I literally can't tell them anything other than the truth, which is I just applied. Mm -hmm. And I can honestly say now being in a position and having been in a position where I recruit for my own teams, we go through every single applicant, every single one. We, I think in 2017, we had like 355,000 applications. We went through every single one. I, I cannot say this enough. Holy shit. We go through every single one. And that's why sometimes it takes a while to hear back. But we go through every single one because it's not fair to let A, a machine decide for you. For sure. And B, not give people a human feedback. Mm-hmm. From it, right? Like you guys know, everybody that's listening anybody that has a job, like we know how hard it is to get a job these days. It is so nice to know that at least someone out there is looking at every applicant and screening it at least and saying, yes, this person might be a good candidate or no, this person may not be a good fit, but maybe there's something else they can do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one, another reason why I, you know, appreciate, you know, what Tesla's doing and a lot of other companies do. It's not just Tesla doing it, but Mm-hmm. My approach, especially for me, for my team is every single person that applies to my postings that I have, I read every single one, mm-hmm. Man. every single one. Well, see, now, now it's hard to demonize you guys because it's so easy when you get that rejection email, right? Like, oh, those corporate <laughs> yeah. devils. Like, yeah, you know, like their machine just, they're, exactly. I didn't have the right yeah. keywords. Oh, it's the algorithm. I didn't have, like, I didn't have the buzzwords. Yeah. And it's like, no, we check every single one. I saw your resume. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Check every single one, guys. It's a little salt in the wound, you know? But. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, anyways, we only have uh, a few more minutes, so oh, I wow. want to get to the time before Damien hits, hits you with our last question. But one thing I'm super interested in is your MBA. And so you just graduated, and so you're fresh off the experience. Um, I actually, I just got into an MBA program, and I, I deferred yeah. my acceptance. Uh, thank you, thank you. Um, but uh, I'm, like, super confused about, like, whether I should do it, you know, what timeline I should do it in, like, how I should do it best. So, like, one thing I want to ask is, was your MBA worth the investment? And I guess it's a little early to tell. And what, like, what got you thinking of doing an MBA? And what advice do you have for someone like considering getting an MBA? Uh, well, first of all, I think it is worth every dollar that you put in if you know what you intend on using it for when you leave. Now, that's a very loaded answer because. I would say that a large portion of people go into their MBAs because it is either someone's told them to do it, someone's paying them to do it, uh, or they just think that that's the next thing they have to do to get a job or get the job they think they want. Okay. And you, I can't answer that for you. So, uh, part of, so to break it up into how to answer this question is, if you are you in your, in your case or anybody on the call or anybody out there that's asked me the same question, I always say, well, the first thing that you have to ask yourself is why do you want to do an MBA? And everybody's answer will change and your answer will change as you do it. If you do decide to go do it, like your answer will change for sure. 
And a lot of that factors into like, okay, you got into an MBA program. Why would you pick this school? Why do you want to go to this school versus others? You know, you can do MBAs online now. You can do part-time, you can do full-time, you can do them in person, like so many options out there. My feeling is like every other graduate degree, uh, where an MBA is definitely a lot more focused, obviously, on the business aspects. Maybe you go into one that's a specialized operations ones or an executive MBA. Whatever. There's many options out there. Mm-hmm. You have to look at what do you want to get out of it? Not as much as what is the end goal. You know, I, I think that having, having more education, guys, it will help you regardless of what you do. Right? You will be asked to do things at a higher level. You'll be asked to think more for yourself. In the terms of an MBA, you will be forced to work with people that potentially have never worked in a technical field, which might drive you insane. And it might be one of the best things you ever experienced. So you have to think about those things too. Maybe you have like, do you have job experience? Like, have you worked in industry yet? Personally? Yeah. Yeah, personally. Yeah. Yeah. So if you haven't worked in industry maybe you don't want to do your MBA right away because you won't add as much value to your education until you go out into the industry, learn a little bit about what the world is like, learn a little bit about yourself, learn a little bit about, is this something I even potentially need? There's no Mm -hmm. point. Like there's also the trail of thought that you don't have to go to school if you don't need it. Like if you don't need it, just don't go. Now Mm -hmm. I'm, I came from the, the, the theory and grow I, and how I was raised and how I feel to this day is that education will always be there for you, right? Regardless of who you are, you know, your race, your religious beliefs, anybody, anything, anybody can say anything about anybody these days. What they can't take away from you is your education, mm-hmm. what school you've gone to, what you've learned and what you've been able to demonstrate by finishing a program. Yeah. Now back to the MBA, the MBA is going to teach you a lot about how companies out there in the world come up with ideas, structure their business, make a value stream, and create these beautiful products that we are so anxiously ready to spend money on. Yeah. And in my opinion, having an MBA really teaches you a lot of very finer details about bigger picture ideas in your normal day-to-day operation. Having an engineering background or having a technical background in something and having an MBA is very, very, very important. Like it's very good for you. It's a very good mm-hmm. asset to have. And it's a combination. I have, a, I have one of my dad's friends, like, he's like, it's very dangerous to have that because you're able to yeah. look at things from a technical aspect. And then also like, how do I make that something commercially available to people, right? And like, let's say you're in, in like, like your guy, your guys' case, if you're in biomed, like you can, you can make a device that helps people solve an issue. And now you have the teachings or you will get the teachings of how can I design this? How can I innovate to a level that nobody out there has? And how do I find that out? How do I do the research to know that or not? How do I structure a business organization to get the funding for that? Uh, what kind of funding options are there? How many people will I need? How do I create intrinsic value so that potentially this is something I could sell? Like those are all really good skills Mm -hmm. to be able to do. And whether or not you own your own company or you design something that you sell to someone, if you go and go to an employer that does that, you're adding so much value to them because you don't have to learn that. You've already Mm -hmm. learned it. So you can immediately start adding value directly as soon as you finish. And so to answer, was it worth every dollar? I would say it is. Uh, Are there things that I did in my MBA that seemed remedial? Sure. But that's also because I went through an undergrad program that had, you know, 30%, 40% of the education was also grounded in managerial topics. Right. right? So I had already gone into my MBA knowing statistical process control, looking at quality management systems. Like I had a lot of foundation already. So mm-hmm. I'm glad I had that because it helped me excel in school in my master's, but it's not necessary. And you'll learn those things in an MBA. So mm-hmm. it's a long-winded answer, but yeah. I feel that, yes, I got value out of it. I mm-hmm. am better at my job 
because of it. And I think the most important part is the two most important part is I found out more about myself as a leader and as a person in the challenges and the things I learned. And most importantly, in my professional career, my organization and my team, my direct team gets the most benefit from it because Mm -hmm. they get, they get the end results, right? They get much smarter goals. They get a good defined career plan. They get much clear defined learning outcomes deliverables, accountability for their job. They get systems put in place for them that helps them strategize how they can solve complex problems in, at Tesla. Or they just, they get more from that because I have invested in my, my education for it. So yes, good, good, good decision to go to back to school. But you also, like to your point, maybe it's not the right time to do it. You can mm-hmm. do it anytime you want. You can do your MBA at any time. It's the only one of the only degrees out there that you don't have to have a pre-existing business degree. In. Yeah. You could have, you could be from HR. You could be from linguistics. You could be from engineering. You could be from anything and you can go to your MBA. So mm-hmm. that's what makes it so robust and so flexible, but there's also challenges that come with that for sure. And you want to make sure for you, and you're thinking about this the right way, you know, if I'm going to spend X thousands of dollars, is it going to be worth the investment? So to answer that, like I said, the only way you can answer that is what do I hope to achieve before I get in, while I'm in it, Mm -hmm. and when I leave it? That's the three Mm -hmm. things you got to evaluate. And that will ultimately help you better the decision of when should I do, should I even do it? When should I do it? And Mm -hmm. do I really, really, really want to do it? Yeah. 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 I only believe in doing things if you really, really, really want to do them. So I, I agree. There's people that there's people that go into yeah. their MBAs to then become CPAs and they really don't want to, they don't like being accountants to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. One shot at life guys do it, doing things that you want to do and things that add value to who you are as a person. Amen to yep. that. Yeah. Especially if that decision has a six figure price tag, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting to make more money. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I just think that there's lots of other things we can do out there in the world. Absolutely. Right? There's a lot of other things that you can learn from school. I mean, people go in their MBAs wanting to be promoted. That's fine. There's also people that go into their MBA because they just want to learn more about how, how the world works, how the For business sure. world works. And that's okay too. But I definitely am a huge supporter uh, of getting more education. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So long as you feel to yourself, you are adding value for yourself and you can contribute to society and even further value added way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I, I did mention at the start of the call that we would run out of time before we ran out of things to talk about, <laughs> which is tragically unfortunate. So if I'm <laughs> part you know, two, part two coming. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully oh, part two in person. We'll see. Yeah. Um, so I, I, we do have our final question, but if I can s- just squeeze in really quick, one more question for you before that, sure. um, just because you were mentioning about, uh, right before the call about how small the world has become for you. Right. So you've met a lot of people, um, and just seen so many different POVs. I'm incredibly curious to hear about just one person who has really stood out to you in your career. And I'm just curious to hear what made them stand out to you. And this could be an interesting combination of skills, could be their work ethic. Maybe maybe they were just really creative. Oh man. Uh, to pick a single one. one. Two, I, mean, <laughs> uh, I could pick two. I mean, I think uh, my first manager, my and then he's a friend to this day and still a mentor to me. Uh, Derek Sikara was one of the first people. He was actually the guy that interviewed me uh, for at GM. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically brought me under his wing and taught me everything he knows about the industry, taught me everything he knows about GM. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's, uh, uh, he's, he's part of a minority group. He taught me everything about, you know, being in a visible minority in a, you generally male white dominated industry. Uh, you know, and this is at the time I started at GM right as Mary Barra became the first woman CEO of an automotive company mm-hmm. and just taught me everything about, a big picture, how to run mm. a corporation, how to run a business, how to run a team. And then yeah. how does what you do in your day align with what your boss does and what your company is trying to achieve? And if you can understand that, then everything you do will be value added. Right. And I, I think I owe a lot to my career again, to him being that guy that I could just go to and be like, I think I'm overthinking this, but 
I know you know I'm overthinking it. So how do I now generate something for the company from it? Right. And then number two is the guy I already mentioned, one of my closest friends, Verinder Dillon, uh, his, his call sign is Vlad. When I met Vlad, I was, you know, I was, I was already just leaving university. So I was already, you know, an, an, a young adult at that time. And that guy has taught me uh, a lot about myself and how to present myself as a professional, how to present myself around people. Uh, he's introduced me to some very, very close people. Uh, he's helped me get around some very challenging, you know, ethical and professional and technical challenges in my life. And I think that the stars really align on that one to find a friend in someone that, you know, just so happened to be in a career that you want to, could, you know, pursue. And he's actually funny enough, fun fact about Verinder Dillon, who's again, one of my closest buddies and a lot of my really close friends know about him because I talk about him all the time. He was one of the instructors on the 2008 series on discovery Jetstream. If you guys have ever heard of it, oh, he's right. one of the instructors yeah. in it. So if you check it out, Verinder Dillon, really close friend of mine, uh, shout out to him, but he is remains, you know, one of my closest friends. I talk to him every single day, uh, 365 days a year. Oh wow! And yeah, every single day. And, and I'm serious about that. And, you know, at this point he's a friend. You know, I still come to him for advice. He comes to me for advice, which is crazy to me. <laughs> um, but he has taught me so much about how to run my team better, how to be better as a person, how to just like my father, think outside the box, think about other ways to do things, not just because it's a waste of time, but how to think about things in a more smart way. Mm -hmm. Think of them from a tactical perspective, how to talk to people better, how to, you know, just be a better envisionment of yourself so that people then decide to come to you as that pinnacle person in their life. For sure. And I think that you can't teach that, you know, in school, like you just, you got to get lucky. I think like you really just got to meet people, get out there, you know, and, and meet key people that can help you. And then I pay it forward to 20 more individuals. Mm -hmm. right? So how did you guys meet? Uh, I met them through a mutual pilot friend. That's crazy. It was like, yeah. Yeah. So how I met him was like, I had a mutual pilot friend that was doing his, his, his uh, commercial pilot's license when I was doing my, my private license. And mm -hmm. I was just like scrolling through his Facebook one day. And I was like, dude, is that Vlad from Jetstream? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, he's a good buddy, Mike. Is it, this guy, this, this individual was also a fighter pilot as well. And in a different country. So he was converting over his license and he's like, yeah, I'm like, wait, next time he's in town, can I just meet him? I just, I just need two hours of his, like an hour, two hours of his time. You know, I just love to ask him some questions. He's like, sure. So, uh, and it's funny when Vlad tells the story cause it's way more aggressive, but <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah. So he was in town, uh, for the C and E and cause there was an air yeah. show and he, like hey there's this guy like he just he just wants a little bit of your time you know do you mind and he's like i guess i mean i'm visiting <laughs> so uh we met at the air we met at the the at the, the aerodrome where where uh where i where i learned to fly and we just sat like in the main terminal like right outside the college and we sat there for two hours i guess somewhere in that two hours he felt i wasn't a complete moron uh, so <laughs> He told me he answered all the questions I ever could have about joining the military, what it's like to fly uh, fighters, what the training program's like, uh, why I feel that that's something I could do, why I think I'd be a good candidate. You know, do you think I'm a good candidate? You know, what are some feedback items? And he does this for a lot of people. He does this for kids. He does it for adults. He's, he does it for everybody. So this was just like a standard conversation for him. So he's just like, mm -hmm. all right, so here's all the information. Keep in touch. And I kept in touch with him. And I do this myself, too. If you guys have a mentor out there or you have a mentee, the way that you grow that relationship is continuous check-in, like mm -hmm. care about that person as an individual and the relationship from a mentor, whether it's purely, you know, platonic, like it's purely mentee, mentor relationship, or it turns into a friendship. It is it directly related to the amount of effort you put in. And it's like any relationship out there. It's sure. not like new stuff. It's just engaging with the people to the level where they're like this person's different than everybody else and that's what will connect you with you know good information or what you need to succeed in life like honestly that's what it comes down to in the short form 
That is, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Beauty. Yeah, just like a quick, uh, quick thought on that before we jump to the last question is I, I was reading uh, meditations by like Marcus Aurelius like a long time ago, and he has this chapter. I think it's called like Deaths, Deaths and Lessons or something. But he was basically just outlining everything that, like the lessons, the things he's learned from people in his life. Yeah. And I thought that was just such a beautiful practice to go through again and just catering towards being intentional about the people you let into your life and what yeah. they're adding to it. Um, yeah, I think, the, I think that. the, the, the really quick takeaway to, not to cut you off. And, yeah. and I know you want to, I know you don't want to take too much of my time. It's, it's totally fine guys. The, the, the key point here is that a lot of people want to find someone out there that can help them get somewhere better. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. But the approach needs to change is that you have to gen- genuinely care to want to engage with that person. Otherwise, what that is, is just you asking for advice. You can get advice from anybody on on the street. Mm -hmm. So my advice is, if you are looking for people out there that you want to engage with or learn from, make sure they're actually people that you may want to like, I don't know, grab food with or hang out with, or at least be in the mindset that you want to grow something with this person. Yeah. Because that'll pay you back so much more in the future. Mm-hmm. Maybe it mm-hmm. helps you a little bit in what you originally wanted to talk to this person about, but you will gain a very key individual in your life. I guarantee, guarantee. For sure. So, yeah. I will definitely take that going forward. I mean, I tried to be intentional and Fouad is like master networker over here. So he's built <laughs> up a lot of the relationships over his life yeah. as well. Um, but Fouad, I think it's that time. It is. It's time. It always has to happen. Man. Um, cool. So we are getting to time and yeah, obviously you want to be respectful, but the last question we have for you is if you could put any one message on a billboard that would reach millions, even billions of people, and you can stratify this audience to whoever you want. It could be, you know, people on Tesla, like whatever you want, like whoever you want in the world, what message would you put on that billboard and why? Uh, <laughs> like a slogan? It could be anything. It could be like a short little quiz. It's, it's open to interpretation. Yeah. It could be anything. It could be a quote. You want. It could uh, be a picture. This could map, be like, like an electronic yeah. billboard with like a scrolling message. All right. All right. QR Ready? code. This is yeah. it. It would say, <laughs> it would say, hearing is listening to what is said, and listening is hearing what isn't said. Ooh, I, Period. I really like that. That's it. And like, cause it's the, just, it makes you think about it. If you think about it, right. There's a difference between hearing and listening Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. people that know me really well is I'm always about detail. So, you know, what is, what is the meaning of life? That's a very deep question, (laughs) but you know, hearing and listening to people, it's just as we are talking on a podcast, human interaction, man, is uh, one of the most important gifts and one of the most, the greatest gifts that we have as humans right? to talk to each other, grow relationships, learn from each other. And I think, especially in the world we live in now, guys, uh, listening has to happen a lot more, uh, you know, yeah. listening and hearing both need to happen, but, you know, I think listening is a lot more important than hearing sometimes and mm-hmm. listening to the undertones and the things out there. And I think formulating, an opinion for yourself is important. And I think ultimately we're all in this together. We only do this once and just make the most out of it by you know, engaging and thinking about the things that haven't been done before. That's uh, ultimately what's going to progress the human race. So yeah, that's yeah. what I would say. The more you listen, I, I didn't have anything funny. Like I didn't have any like no, you know, no honestly, buy lotto that. tickets. Like buy lotto <laughs> tickets. Yeah, I don't know. Like it's you know just listen listen a bit more no that is i mean it's so beautiful it's and so poetically said too right the more you listen to people the more you understand them the more you understand them the more you can empathize with them and the more you can empathize with them the harder it is to hate them right and then we just all end up loving each other saying kumbaya we love that yeah exactly that's what i'm that's what i'm all about man all right mitch thank you so much brother for your time it has been an absolute pleasure of a conversation and i can't express how excited we are for part two in the future because like it has to yeah, happen now. no uh thank thank you guys for having me on it's always good to uh talk about uh just the world that we're in and i think uh, i appreciate you guys asking me a lot of you know really personal questions i think it's always good to always Thanks take some time yeah, yeah. T- taking some time in your life to 
reflect on the personal side is hard for you know a lot of people especially oh, yeah. dudes because we're like well we don't like to talk about <laughs> like ourselves but it's that, uh yeah. no i think it's good that you guys ask some really good deep questions and you know kudos to you guys and i'm super excited for uh being home i'm home in september so last nice. two weeks of september let me know we'll do uh we'll do an in-person one with like actual yeah. mics and stuff and uh yeah i sick. appreciate you guys having me on and and thanks for such the great questions Appreciate sure. it. Uh, any last thoughts, Bud? No, I mean, I'm, I'm actually moving to California in September, so I'll be I'll, I'll be in SF right across the bay. So I'll All definitely right. we'll definitely have to link up for a beer or something. All at you, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, Mitch. Cool, uh, anything you want to yeah. promo? Where can people reach you if they want to follow up and te- speak to the dad uh, himself? If they, <laughs> that's a good one. I should change my handle your, on Instagram. That's your call the sign. Dad. <laughs> the dad. Uh, you can reach me on Instagram uh, at chaosmk. You can reach me through the Forge website. You can reach me at mitchellcost.com. You can hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, uh, all the social medias uh text message it's all there people you know, people find me beautiful all right and we'll link those in the bio all right once again mitch thanks so much and we'll catch you guys at the next episode if you like the episode follow us on spotify and give us a review on apple Podcasts. our website was built by face solutions logo designed by charmeni and music by wonderly music thank you for listening Think you got it? Nah, we're on the next iteration.